1: the lark cast my name is Tony and I'm joined as always by my handsome well-spoken very astute um funny and very southern co-host Russ Johnson hello Russ how are you doing
0: very <laughs> good dude I think I think we might be one one for four on that on that roll but uh... what
1: what would be the one very <laughs> Southern?
0: that's uh, probably that one's about the one is that's the one I, I can't <laughs> I ain't gonna be able to escape that one
1: <laughs> so I
0: know we we're getting
1: into some parables today as we have been if you've been listening to the cast for any length of time we're really trying to ask a question what is God really like uh, and the really the big picture of Lark in general is what what has God really done in Christ mm. and there's a lot of conversation a lot of things about that you might be coming to this podcast with you know a lot of stuff in your background and in your story you've heard a number of different things in the name of God and in the name of church and the name of Christianity um, and all that and so we've been really looking at the parables and just letting Jesus words just speak for themselves and so we're in that we're in the midst of all that. So we got a couple of parables. Yes. I said a couple of parables because we're really about value, really bringing that value, <laughs> you know, here at the bank cast really bang, for, bang the for your buck. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But before we get going, I just kind of wanted to acknowledge uh, the passing of, of Norm Macdonald. Um, mm. And I, I know we're a big fan of uh, comedy and, and comics. If you're in and around 40 years old, you know, and grew up with the, uh, the good years of SNL, um, the Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, Norm Macdonald, uh, Chris rock years, you know, basically when SNL was good, Norm's passing is going to kind of, you know, hit you. Um, and if you want to kind of get a sense, if you, if you don't know who Norm Macdonald is and his character of Burt Reynolds and the whole thing on jeopardy, (laughs) and the whole third Ferguson, big and all that kind of stuff um you know just do yourself a favor google norm mcdonald search him on youtube find some of those highlights if you want to get a sense of the kind of comic that norm was from his delivery to his controversy just google two things moth joke on conan and norm on the view but The reason I bring up Norm, not only because of, you know, our connection, our age and, you know, those golden years at SNL, but later in life, Norm was, he was openly reflective about life, uh, death, God and faith. And maybe it was his nine year hidden battle with cancer. I didn't really know that he wasn't really open about that. Like when he was invited on shows, that wasn't the topic of conversation. He kept that, kept that hidden, which I think is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was like later in life. He was very reflective about God faith. You could tell he was kind of searching and Eric Sorensen from 1517 posted a really, really good article yesterday called the gospel according to norm. And I'm going to, I'll link it in the, um, in the show notes. Um, But he dug up this old interview with norm. I I wouldn't even say it was old. I want to say it was probably pretty recent. And he was getting into talking about faith and some of the relationships he has of people who he engages with. He says, I have a rabbi who I talk to a lot. He's a real scholar. He goes, my pastor doesn't know anything. I mean, anything. He's just a pleasant guy. (laughs) If you ask him a direct question, he'll go, what? Didn't you hear my sermon? And this is the part I want to focus in on, but his sermons always like how to be a nice fella or some nonsense, Mm. how to be his sermons always always focus on how to be a nice fella or some nonsense. And so Norm really touches on the real problem we're facing when it comes to the church and its message. And this is a frustration that's at the heart of Lark and the Lark cast, a problem we're trying to address and bring some clarity to. And the real problem is this, it's the church's departure from Christ and him crucified to humanity and it Improved, and we're mm. always talking about that on the Larcas so I just saw a great connection, a way to honor a dude that kind of had a, a piece of our story. Yeah, dude, growing up, and then also as a way to to introduce not only from a bigger picture of what we're talking about here in the LarkCast, but also something very, very closely related to the two parables uh, that we're going to talk to today. And Or talk about today. And in Norm's honest searching, I think he found that just do it version of Christianity to be really lame and unhelpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I think think anybody, there's a myriad of things that happen in life that can bring us to that place of honest searching and also being okay with what we actually find, which seems to be the story of Norm. And I mean, nothing like a diagnosis, right? Of cancer and Hey, your, your days are numbered, man. They've always been that way. You never knew when that day was coming. You still don't. If you're listening to this, neither do I for any of us. Right. But, but we don't generally live with that view until we hear something like, right. You have cancer.
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, amen for the search and amen for, you know, just being able to come to the conclusion that, Yeah. This, uh, just, just do it, be a better person. You know, Jesus is a great example. Christianity. Yeah. It falls flat, bro. Yeah. When you're honest about yourself.
1: Well, when you're, when you're faced with something like cancer and death, what, what encouragement is improvement? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like when you get down to like the brass tacks about what's really at stake, like Mm -hmm. things that we can't control things that we can't fix. And death is a wonderful way to really like awaken you to that reality. But then you have a myriad of other things that are kind of like quietly whispering along the way. We're not talking about improvement here. You're not, you're not, this isn't something you can fix. You need rescue. You need to look outside of yourself. Death happens to just be like a
0: megaphone. God being like, (laughs) 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 yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and cheers, you know, to to Norman and to that message and to the clarity and just – let me just say this. Cheers to the guy who played Burt Reynolds better than Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how good – that's how good he was, man, in that role. And as a Florida kid, especially as an old-school Florida kid, which is how I grew up, um, <laughs> I mean, that's where Burt Reynolds is from, dude. And then watching Norm play him, bro, in the 90s, was like, yes, yes. You just played Burt Reynolds better than Burt Reynolds.
1: <laughs> so good, man. Uh, can't so be good. It. I think Norm's questioning and wrestling is a fantastic transition into our parables uh, today because we have two parables that we're going to be talking about today. And yes, a reminder, we have two parables. So you have a two for one. Uh, oh, so, yeah, you're getting your
0: money's worth. Yeah. These so, parables are actually, they, they we're doing them together because they go together and it's actually really simple. It's, uh, it's just grabbing onto the simplicity of it. That's the challenge.
1: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cause we like to complicate things. Yeah, we All right. So Matthew 21, we're going to start in 28, uh, to 32. Jesus says this, what do you think a man had two sons? So this is not the prodigal son and the elder son. That we've already talked about in Luke chapter 15. These are a different two sons. What do you think a man had two sons? And he went to the first one and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, Mm -hmm. he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. Here I am. Send me into the fields. Yes. A hearty. Yes. But Mm -hmm. did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father. So he's asking this question of these, these, this crowd that's questioning his legitimacy and his authority, which of these two did the will of the father. They said the first, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe in him.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I there's a
1: lot going on there. Parable number one. Russ, I'll ask you, tell us why, as we start to dive into this parable, tell us why the audience that he's talking to and the context, why it's important here.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, it's Jesus's final week on earth. And so he's starting to unpack his authority in a very provocative way, all right? He's cleansing the temple. He spoke to the fig tree and cursed it, right? Which was a symbol of the law and its inability, okay, to bear actual fruit. Um, There's this like flexing of his authority um, that begins to infuriate the religious leaders of his day because he's undermining everything they had ever held dear and built their lives upon. Mm -hmm. So in response to this, they try to take him out, right? But the crowds wouldn't allow it. They're they're fans of Jesus at this point. That will change soon. Um, so they decided to try and basically beat Jesus at his own game to show the crowds that this man Jesus actually has no authority to say the things that he's declaring. And so Jesus, <laughs> which I love, ignores their question. All right, this is what's going on right before Jesus tells the parable that you just read, Tony. He he ignores their question. Because he's not interested in diffusing the situation, right? He's actually interested, it seems, in escalating it.
1: Can I say one thing really, really quick about the interaction right before? Mm -hmm. I think it's important for our listeners to understand that Jesus is someone who you can come to with questions. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I think what he's not interested in arguing with people with like hard hearts. But like, let's say you're Nicodemus yeah. at night, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're John in prison or you're Thomas yep. doubting the resurrection. He Jesus has shown like people who sincerely ask questions and are searching, like, dude, he's got all the time in the world for you yeah. and will be gracious in your question. Mm-hmm. Dude, if you're trying to like bring to him the folly of the wisdom of the world, or you just already have it in your mind, or you're kind of asking questions in a sense of like, Yo, I'm asking this question, but it's really like you're making a statement, you know? Yeah. Or let's say you're trying to plot his murder or trying to discredit him. Yeah, dude. Like he's not going to try to diffuse that or try to prove himself at all.
0: Mm -mm. No, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be interested in arguing with anyone ever. And it doesn't look like he ever does argue. He'll ask a question in relation to your question. He'll right. He'll he'll walk you toward what it is that you're really after here and help you see what's really good if you want to grab onto it. But, you know, it's like rather than get into the squabble about who has, uh, you know, the authority here, okay, that, which is what they're really trying to question, who, who has the authority, who is the highest authority, you know, Jesus basically points and says, "Well, I don't know, guys, who has the highest authority in the universe. Because until we, you know, set down what the will of God is for me and you and everybody else around us, we can't really have a discussion about what's right or what's wrong. Jesus himself has already pointed to what God has said his will is, is that we would trust him that we would actually enter into the relationship that he created us for
1: the one thing we need to establish here. Whenever you see the phrase, the will of God. And I know we want to attach that to all kinds of different things, but as you pointed out there in John six, the will of the father is to believe in whom the one, the father has sent.
0: Yeah. So not catching on to this, the Pharisees answer Jesus's question when he asked the parable about which one of these sons did the will of the father. They quickly answer the first one, right? The first one. And there you have it, dude. Like Jesus just beats them right there at their game because these guys don't realize that in their answer, they just condemned themselves. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't even know it. Okay. Like they, they, don't even, they don't understand basically that they are the second son, that's what he's pointing out. Yeah. They just said the first one right? and don't realize they're the second one. Yeah. That's, that's re- literally where he walks into. to.
1: Can you, um, he- can we help everyone understand like, why would the Pharisees or any really religious crowd represent someone right. who's just kind of like, yes, sir. Right. Like having this posture of like an immediate yes, but not right. Following through on what he says and why are the Why are the prostitutes and tax collectors, which are like poster children for like the worst kind of people in their day? Like you want to talk about like, you know, prototypical people who are not going to get into the kingdom. It's tax collectors and prostitutes.
0: These are guys that have spent their entire lives saying, yes, father. Okay. They have memorized the law and spent their days draped in religious garments as they've recited the law of God on the streets. But for all that posturing about their doing the will of God, when the rubber meets the road, they will not submit to him. They will not follow him because it is too costly, right? It's too humiliating to bend their knee to this lowly peasant carpenter from the slums of Nazareth. So in doing so, just be clear, doing so would undermine all their work and all their progress. It would undermine their whole religious system And this is the big one in all the security it offers, all right, in the checks and the balances that they preach in God's name. So when saying yes to God meant they could gain social capital from their position, uh, likes from their prominent performance on the streets, peace from all the comforts. Uh, Let's throw the word church in here. Let's make it modern. Peace from all the, the comforts that come with church life. Well, then they're in. They're in. But when saying yes to God meant believing that they, were a no, that, that they were under a nobody from Nazareth, they couldn't. And doing so, dude, would expose, like I said, this is the big one for me. By admitting Jesus is in authority here, and he is right about what the will of the Father is, by admitting that even though they answered the first sons, but they're the second sons in the story, mm-hmm. this exposes their status, bro, as equal failures. With the rest of us Mm. that they are equal frauds all right who were faking their way through life just like we do in hopes to maybe one day truly arrive to this status right that they've concocted in their minds these guys weren't interested in being obedient to the will of of the father man they were interested in showing everyone around them that they were obedient to the will of the father they wanted the benefits they could gain from playing church They didn't want a God who was broken to heal their brokenness. Yeah. You just see like the
1: hard hearted resistance here. I love the phrase for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not Mm -hmm. afterward change your mind, change your minds and believe in him. It's almost like he's saying you, you saw it like, you know, deep down, even though, like these people are detestable to you, you knew, right? Mm -hmm. That part of the Abrahamic covenant, that God was going to bless all nations. You knew like, including all people was going to be part of this. And even watching like these, these people have just like completely rejected him, start coming and expressing faith and repenting. You saw that and still didn't believe. It's like the context in Luke 15, where there's a standing outside of this dinner party, where Jesus is having meals with Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, and their arms are folded, and they're just like in their hearts, they're just like, This man eats with and receives sinners. You know what I'm saying? Like they saw it, they saw evidence of it, and they still they harden their hearts even even
0: further. Yeah, man. The and I think that's what Jesus is driving home. It's like anybody who's thinking works is the thing, you know, by how well you perform and being this good and right person in the world is how you come into relationship with God it's how you're made right right. it's how you achieve life and and you know eternal life whatever you want to throw in the you know the bracket there dude he just blows all that out of the water here that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to awaken to the kingdom they're literally going to be a part of it before Mm -hmm. you you guys that have a really good resume these are the guys you want as neighbors their grass is mowed their bills are paid you know what I mean (laughs) They're not doing a (laughs) single thing wrong. They're not throwing late night parties there. I mean, there's just, there's no riffraff coming around because they live in the neighborhood. It's anything that you would think of as a polished person in society. This is it. And Jesus Mm -hmm. is going, you've missed the whole heart of who God is and what he's done and what he's made possible for you to enter into. Mm -hmm. You've made the story about you. And so, you know, when he, when he makes that statement there, dude, he's not saying uh, that, the, you know, the tax collectors, uh, you know, the thieves, the prostitutes, you know, get into the kingdom, you know, before you, he's, this isn't like, a, you know, it's not because these outcasts are going to manage to get their act together and finally be these people who are upright, you know what I mean? And he's not saying that these religious leaders, these Pharisees are not going to get into the kingdom because later on in life, they're going to take a nosedive, okay, and they're going to start stealing cars and kicking dogs. You know, as I said last week in the podcast. Dog kicking two weeks in a row. Man. Dog kicking, man. So he's just saying, look, look, one group is coming into the kingdom because they trusted in the one who saves them. The yes. other won't because they refuse to believe in the grace that only works by raising the dead. Hmm. All right. If we don't need Jesus, bro, if a better example or some motivation or just some clarity on the law was all we needed. Yeah,
1: we could have stopped at Moses Yep, who brought the law down from Mount Sinai. Yeah, man. There you go. Here's the template. Do this and you'll live.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And it's, it's like to me, the whole story is like it gets close to home for you and me and everybody that's listening to this because you have to start asking yourself like, man, what happens when, what happens when saying yes to Jesus quits delivering on what you expected and actually becomes suddenly painful or weird in a society that wants all the, the good teachings of Jesus, but doesn't want Jesus.
1: Mm.
0: Like what happens, man, when it becomes weird, right. Or painful to follow him. Like what happens when you actually lose your reputation in the church or in your neighborhood or among like this tribe that you're really trying hard to impress. Jesus asked, you know, which one of these, which one of these sons actually did the will of the father, the one who said yes. Okay. The one who was uh, committed to signaling as far and as wide as possible that I am a person after God. Um, But when public humiliation came, he shrank back. That's who Jesus is, you know, He's got some of those people in the crowd or was it the son who no longer has anything to lose who did the will of the father, because he recognized the folly of his arrogance and shows a, like willingly embraced, right? The idea that, you know what, everyone's going to think I'm a fool for changing my mind, but I'm changing my mind, which mm. literally is what the word repentance means. I'm changing my mind. He, he is who he said he is. God really is like this. Hmm. I'm gonna trust Him.
1: I think there's, um, I don't know, really like quite know how to say this, but the audacity and the pride and the arrogance that just it comes with like being a hard no mm-hmm. to God, like that like rebellious spirit. It's rejection, but like at least you know it. It's yeah. like it, it, it's so tangible, you know. Mm-hmm. but how deceptive is it having just this posture of like, yeah, here I am. Lord send me totally. Yep. I'm, I, I, I love you. Trust you believe in you. Um, I'll do whatever. I am this person. I'm a religious mm-hmm. person. I'm a good person. I'm not like those people over there. You know what I'm saying? Like you're this immediate. Yes. Yep. You would never question ever being in a place where you would say no, no, or rejecting him or being on the wrong side of right. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so it's such
0: a it's such a subtle deception. We've talked about it, man. It's like it's a it's like a drug. Right? This this constant self-justifying act that we're all in. Constantly trying to justify ourselves to to us and to others and to God, right? Based off like what we think, what we value, what we believe, what we do, what we don't do, what we say, what we don't say, how we vote, how we don't vote. The list just goes on and on and on and on and on. And like this addictive, deceptive drug, man, like this act of moralism, which is really what we're talking about here with this, right? With these guys. And it just blinds you. It just blinds you to to the beauty that's actually at hand, Mm. which I think is why right out of the story is where Jesus goes and right. Just tells this other quick story to really help them see what he's saying. And to make it really clear, um, yeah, guys, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know, I, so I feel like that's yeah. where he goes with that next story.
1: There's this really there's this really cool like uh, transitional piece I found to kind of marry these two things and to kind of bring it, make it just like a little bit more palatable. And we already know that this crowd that's questioning Jesus' authority there. They're a murderous bunch. I mean, they, they're, they've been plotting to kill him for a long time. They finally yeah. followed through with it. They've just been looking for the right time to do it. And they didn't stop with Jesus. Like later on, they're like beating people, flogging people, bringing them before courts, telling them to shut up, throwing them in prison, killing some. And there's yeah. this scene in Acts chapter eight. There's this dude named Stephen who literally gets stoned to death. And the way he describes... Um, the, the like the thing he says that pushes these dudes over the edge ties both of these parables together like perfectly. He Ooh. says this of this crowd, it might even been some of the same people, <laughs> it might even have been some of the same guys who are here, Stone and Stephen are at this, like little, you know, in this little story with Jesus that we're we're talking about right now in Matthew chapter 21. Stephen says of them, he goes, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears which there's a blast on their religion because they pride themselves on being circumcised, which is a sign of like, yo, here's my lineage. Here's my nationality. But really you're Mm -hmm. uncircumcised in heart, right? You just have this external credence to this religion. Internally, you're full of death and unbelief and rejection and hard-heartedness in religion. He goes, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're always resisting what God's doing in your midst. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That's the next parable, right? Right. This descending of prophets and people and beating and killing. And he yep. says, This one he goes, um, who announced to you the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So they followed through, it's after the cross. Verse 53. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. There's that immediate yes man, this, the law is good. It came from Moses. It came from God. We're going to keep this thing, but really at the end of the day, no one's keeping anything, man. No one's following through on any Mm -hmm. of this. You're just as broken as everyone else. And so I think that's a really, really cool transition into this next parable. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Jesus says this right after the parable of, um, you know, the two, the two sons, he goes here, another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard And put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So here we have the absence again, shows up like last week When the season for fruit drew near. He sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit and the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. Again, Mm. he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and we can have his inheritance. And they took him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said, so they respond again. He will put those, I can't even read it. He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said this to them. Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will
0: crush him. Mm. yeah yeah he's uh, a lot of beating making it
1: a lot of killing a lot of stones falling breaking into pieces yeah being grounded in the dust crushing people
0: yeah this is violent yeah and again once again uh everybody started out ready included and in their unbelief in their rejection exclude themselves. So once again, judgment falls, but it falls within the work of God's grace. Okay. Upon those who reject him, his very grace, his very work, his very life. It falls on unbelief, man, on unfaith. Like, like a, old-
1: con- like a continued, like carry your unbelief all the way to the end zone. Cause it's yeah. not like rejection and unbelief is not paid for. That's not like something that grace can't cover dude redemption came through rejection we just read it like that's what i'm saying we just got done yeah Yeah, go ahead
0: it's a no yeah it's included in that yeah and even in the story that he just told prior to this you have people who were like nah nah that's called rejection but then later in seeing wait he he is lord this is true Mm -hmm. believed it's the other camp that's like yeah sure but no, nah, well, I'm the, not trusting the, you.
1: The thing that came to my mind is the, uh, the first convert in John's gospel after the death of Jesus is a Roman soldier who helped put him to death. Think go. about that. Think yeah. about that. You know what I'm saying? If you're wondering, well, okay. So you're saying like, um, judgment, condemnation only falls on rejection. Well, I've, I've rejected him. No, it's, are you going to carry that rejection to your grave? Yeah. Are you going to die calling him a liar?
0: Yep. That's it. And that's what he's showing us. And he shows you a people with this story. Okay. That, that God has, has spoke to, and a people that God has set the prophets to, which could all fill in here, right. For the people that have been set to say, no, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is and right there. What did they do? They, they killed the prophets. What does the story point to? Everything you see in the old Testament you just read about stephen's encounter in acts right to kind of show a bridge here what was he what did he tell them you stiff-necked people you killed the very people who were sent to come and tell you this is the messiah and what i love about jesus's parable here is he uses an old testament scripture that these guys are familiar with probably memorized okay the whole the whole piece about the cornerstone that they rejected yeah that's from the writings that they know and have studied and memorized. Mm-hmm. And he literally uses that to say the one who's being rejected, who's right here in front of you. And it's you who's rejecting him. <laughs> and so you know, I like, I, mean, I was like, what do you think this master's <laughs> going
1: to do to these people? He goes, they're going to put those wretches to death. <laughs>
0: dude." It's like, it didn't matter. It doesn't, it didn't matter that the son came to pass on a message here, like in the story. Okay. Tie that to Jesus. It didn't matter that the son came to pass on a message, okay? Because the tenants in the story, tenants, right? They're not owners, tenants. That says something. The tenants in the story simply had no interest in the will of the master. Mm. Dude, the tie together of these two stories from Jesus, all springing out of some people really questioning his authority and refusing to accept it is it's genius. They wanted nothing to do in the story. They wanted nothing to do with the master, nothing at all. They just wanted to live in the house. They wanted to enjoy all that he has to offer. Okay. And they wanted to be left alone. They just wanted pleasant undisturbed backyard cookouts, bro, without the trouble of the master showing up and asking them to do Anything, and, and when it comes to life in or bringing his
1: tax collector
0: prostitute friends with him, right? Definitely not letting him show up with that. But when it comes to life in God, man, when it comes to life in Jesus, whose life Himself, you will not not be disturbed. Okay, you will not be left alone or let alone by the Master, out of His love for you, someone He's created. Okay someone he's given his very life for, he will send his son to you and it will be an occasion of great disturbance. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a moment when you realize that your resume will fall flat. This great intrinsic value that you think you bring to change yourself in the world will fall flat. Mm -hmm. Your need for a great name and legacy will fall flat. What you have done and will do will all of a sudden fall flat. Okay. Okay. It's, 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 it's a moment like Jesus talked about earlier in Matthew. It's like, there's going to be a moment when you realize that uh, when it's really from Jesus, your left hand won't know what your right hand's doing. But all this running around you're doing, you're very in tune with what your right hand's doing. Because hmm. it's ultimately about you. And it all falls flat. And he doesn't say, I don't love you. He just says, I've right. got something better for you if you'll just trust me. But we not wanting to be bothered by the master. We don't want to live in the house. We want access to all that he offers. We just want to be left alone. Man, if that's our, that's our story, bro, then um, then the end isn't good, man. Because he'll grant you what you wanted. You wanted eternal separation from him and everyone? You resist him to your grave, and he will grant you what you asked for. That's mm-hmm. what he's saying here. And that's exactly what these Pharisees are doing. They are refusing him, man. Yeah. I like the, um, I like the end,
1: um, where it says, therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing this fruits. I like what you're saying because it says like, Oh, these guys thought they were owners, not tenants. Yeah. Yep. They thought they really like owned this thing and got to like set the rules, determine the mm-hmm. parameters, right? Like who's in and who's out. So yeah, if you, if you see yourself as someone who like belongs and like, yo, this is mine, then you're going to be mad at like the kids, like running into your lawn, right. To come pick up a football that, you know, accidentally wandered over or anyone coming mm. into your space. Yeah. Um, but they're tenants. And when God starts showing up and fulfilling that promise that he made to this dude named Abraham long ago, that, yo, from a seed that comes from this dude's lineage, I'm going to bless everybody. Everybody's yeah. going to be included. In this, yep. And when Jesus starts showing up and like welcoming to himself, tax collectors, sinners and prostitutes and everybody
0: and um, the religious so and the upright and the, and
1: the rich and right. We totally. see it all. But yeah. everyone who comes to him comes by way of that disturbance you're talking about, yes. which is why Nicodemus comes to him at night. Yep. Right. He comes to him at night because publicly he can't genuinely ask questions. But I like what we're saying here about the disturbance of the sun the, the, the unsettling of it. Everyone has to deal with Jesus, man. Everyone does. And yep. if there's something that I know about him, this hound of heaven, as Charles Spurgeon once called him, yeah. is one who's like constantly in the quietness of just yep. your thoughts and your heart, when you're driving, when no one's around, I'm not talking about what you post on Twitter or you know, what you say to people publicly or some stance you've formulated, right. Or some position, or I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic or whatever. Like I'm talking about dude, in the quietness of your thoughts in the quiet, no one else is around. Dude, you know, you know, you know, people are wrestling with Jesus. He is the stone, right. And you're, if if you're not saying yes to him, and enjoying the party in the house that's being built on top of this cornerstone. Mm
0: -hmm. And you're
1: constantly trying to like get around this stone or kick it or move it or crush it
0: or whatever. um, Yeah. You have to deal with it. And what I'm finding, man, is if, if you're willing to by faith, just let go and be crushed by him. Right. To just go, man, he's, he's it. He's it. Everything that I'm after, all the hope, the meaning, the joy, the purpose that I'm trying to, to find and all this stuff that, will, that just does not and will not and cannot deliver, all that I'm looking for is already mine in him. If I'm willing to just take him at his word, if I'm willing to just yeah. trust him. That's, that's literally all he's driving home here. And I feel like the good news where like, all this like sort of comes to a head, like the good news for you, for me, for our listeners, Bro, the good news for Norm (laughs) MacDonald, your good name, your recognition, your public posturing to the world as one who says yes to God has already fallen flat. You, me, the world has already lost. In in the perfect work of of Jesus on our behalf, God has already taken off the veil. Public exposure is at hand. Our, Our relentless pursuit of an imagined destiny there's nothing more than rotting flesh that is here for one second and gone forever. So acknowledge it and begin to live in the resurrection of Jesus, because he's the only savior that we have. And in the collapse of your posturing and my posturing and our pretending and all of our measuring and mapping and managing progress, there is life and joy. Uh, there is life and joy in letting go of all the pretending that you are fine. There is life and joy in letting go of trying to convince others and God and mostly yourself that you are doing well. Hmm. Because there is life, dude, that springs from humiliation. And Jesus proves it, man. So the horror of exposure is not the end of life. I feel like that's what this parable is about. The horror of exposure. That's what he's saying to these, to these guys, these religious leaders. The horror of exposure is not the end of life. Yeah. It's the starting point. Yeah. The only question is, will you, will me, will we, like the first son, see our error when we first said nah and choose to go, yeah, <laughs> I was wrong. I trust him. Yeah. That's it. But that's it, what he's again,
1: that's why faith alone is such a violent thing. And it, you, we, like you mentioned that disturbance yeah. and really having to deal with him because he, let, let's take the two metaphors from this week and last week. Last week was a party at the end of the world with the wedding, right? Yep. And now we have the cornerstone of something that's being built. If you put mm-hmm. them together, you have the, Jesus is the cornerstone of this huge house party going on. <laughs> right. And dude, like pe- pe- everybody's invited. And we see the people who entered the party first were the tax collectors and the prostitutes, right? They came in by faith. They discovered they entered the party. And these guys, this religious crew is in the basement, right? Arguing about the foundation and the security of it. And is this house Mm going to hold up completely, right? Ignoring the party that's happening right above their head. And it's really, really hard, dude, to see past the things that you built your entire life on because you want to stand on your own foundation. You don't want to embrace the foundation of something else. So what you're talking about is you're talking about a religious foundation. That's theirs, that they've built a house in a kingdom that they're building. And Jesus is like, dude, ditch that little pebble and grab onto this cornerstone because by faith you will fall on this thing and you will be, you will be broken into pieces. Your life will be shattered as you know it. But, dude, you're going to be more secure, more whole, and more joyful than ever before. And it's a violent jump, dude. It's a violent jump. We can't ignore that. Faith is not – it's a simple thing, but it's not an easy thing. And Anyone who has gone through it and embraced Jesus by faith and gone through the violence of, you know what I'm saying, like coming to realize who you really are. that you are like you're naked and just laid bare before him. Dude, that's tough but you will experience a love that will not let you go and a truth with like a capital T truth who has a Mm -hmm. name in the person of Jesus, someone who's like lived for you, died for you, rise for you, embraced you in a security that you can find nowhere else. Yeah,
0: man. Like the parties that we throw, eventually we're going to run out of space. We're going to run out of money. We're going to run out of time. And if the cops show up, and ask on whose authority are we throwing this party, we're gonna fall flat. But in this other party, you know what I mean? It never runs out of space. It never runs out of wine. It never runs out of ribs. It never runs out of time. It never runs out of money. And there's nobody banging on the door who can interrupt it because it's somebody else's party, man, built on some other kind of a cornerstone than this makeshift Lego one that we keep trying to drag up to the table. Mm. improved ourselves and God that it matters. Public exposure, man, is not, the horror of that is not the end. Mm. It's the starting point. If we, if we grab that, dude, it's like, talk about a life of freedom in front of you.
1: And there is a party on the other side of the project of self that you're really working hard at right now it gets yeah. smashed to pieces. Yeah. Amen. Until next and- time. Cheers. Cheers.